Welcome, welcome to another episode of Stat Stories, a Stat News original. I'm Chad Shanks. And I'm Justin Kabatko. With all the focus on Westbrook's chase for triple-double immortality this season, some other incredible performance didn't get the credit they deserve, especially one that may have flown under the radar in Milwaukee. So today we're focusing on the Bucks' uber utility man and the history of versatile players who do a little bit of everything in episode 24, Greek Army Knife. Giannis doing work. How about this guy and his ability to be effective in transition? This is coming out of the second half. Getting loose, six foot eleven, ball skills for days, just his ability to get to the rack. How about that handle, the spin, the awareness of where the rim is, Ryan? You want to beat me up a little bit with physicality? I'm gonna go to my fadeaway jump shot. Can I shoot a jumper? Oh, if I take a step closer, maybe. So that was the great Doris Burke of ESPN doing her best to succinctly describe everything Milwaukee's 22-year-old Greek superstar is capable of after the Bucks' surprising double-digit Game 1 win in Toronto in the first round of the playoffs. Now, as of the time that we're recording this, the series is tied 1-1, but Milwaukee has already gone into a difficult place to win in Toronto and pulled one upset, so who knows how it's going to go. But the, the big story is that the breakout season continues for Giannis Antetokounmpo, which... Apologies in advance. I'm sure at some point in this podcast, one of us will pronounce that differently or mispronounce it. There may be a whole swell of pronunciations, but Justin, I, I'd like to move. I'd like to move that we just use Giannis, Giannis from here on out. Giannis okay. Antetokounmpo. Um, enough has been made about his how difficult his name is, but also a lot has been made about just what how much he is earned his nickname, the Greek Freak. Um, Number one, because he was from Greece. He's of Nigerian descent, but uh, grew up in Greece. And he is a freak of nature. He's 6'11", with a wingspan of over 7 feet. Uh, He has, his hands are 12 inches, which are bigger than Kawhi Leonard, bigger than Wilt Chamberlain. Um, He has speed, he has jumping ability, he has... A little bit of everything and I think we saw this season it's been predicted right he's this is fourth year it's been predicted for a while like this guy is gonna put it all together but it's this season he definitely took that that next step um, yeah and he, he made what I think is the most difficult leap to make and that is from like very good player to top 10 player in the league I think I think people underestimate how difficult it is to make that jump yeah, and the, the, it's kind of clouded because we've known him for four years now, right? So he's had a little bit of time. I think you got to remember when he came into the league, he was, I think, 18, his first NBA game, uh, 19 for most of his rookie season. So he was still kind of um, a baby. And so I remember, I remember meeting him, if I can indulge you with a quick little anecdote about I met when I was working with the Rockets, we were at the all-star weekend for when it was in Brooklyn and New York. And so everyone was staying in Manhattan and had to take a bus ride out to uh, Brooklyn for the Friday and Saturday night events, right? Which was just a terrible, horrible idea. And they did it 
they had it scheduled the same week as fashion week in new york the whole city was locked down in gridlock so i ended up spending like an hour and a half on this bus trying to get to brooklyn and i was there with costas papa nicolau who is a greek player rookie at the time for the rockets i don't even think he's still in the league anymore um super nice dude um, was one of the players that would actually speak to me and treat me like a human being. So I like, so I liked him quite a bit. I think but every we, player you've told me about who treated you well was a foreign player. Am I am I mistaken? Well, no. So all right, we're, are we getting a little off topic here? But that's like a thing. I talked with other people who worked in the NBA at the time. That's a very common thing. About we can do a whole episode on this about the foreign-born players. There was they didn't seem to have any like sense of like we were different classes of people right they would just talk to anyone any any foreign player even like the ones like as famous as Yao like they would say like there there wasn't anything and then the American born players uh, like we theorized like they were the ones that grew up being told that they're special and from a very early age being groomed and told that they're better and they like they it's, wouldn't it's have the, anything it's to the do. AAU culture right the AAU yeah. culture yeah they wouldn't have it they I mean they didn't give a crap about the lower level staff whatsoever the foreign guys would hang out with us on the road go out to dinner with us things like that and of course there's always exceptions to the rule but it seemed to be a general thing but Costas Papa Nicolau was one of the nicest players I was ever around but of course being from Greece he was close with this awkward gangly teenager named Giannis Antetokounmpo who sat with us on the bus and so I got to talk with them and the one thing that really stuck out because of course I'd heard of him and knew the hype coming in but whenever you saw him especially at that time the the big overarching theme was he was a baby I mean he was just a little baby and um, I took a picture of them him and Costas on the bus and like took a picture of him and um, posted it to the Rockets Twitter account and tagged Giannis on it and Giannis like saw it and like put his hand on my shoulder and like thanked me and he was like it genuine like he's like oh thank you for putting me on the Rockets account like he's like that's so cool that I'm on the Rockets account and I was like really <laughs> Rockets players don't think that's cool why do you think that's cool but there was just this kind of young innocence about him and I was reading in preparation for this there was um a Lee Jenkins article in Sports Illustrated about how excited he was when he first came to the country, like to pump his own gas. And like he went to an In-N-Out burger and just lost his mind that there was just this childlike innocence to him. And so there was nothing apart from his physical traits that really indicated that he was going to become a monster, right? That he was going to become one of the most feared uh, people in the NBA, but he worked endless endlessly and hard to, and the results started to show and uh, like the NBA this season had this uh, mixtape that of his highlights that are just it's insane to watch what he's able to do from a from a physical standpoint and coming from his rookie year where his stats were pedestrian at best he had like six points a game four rebounds um, playing 24 minutes or so it's gone up steadily uh, to 12.6 rebounds after that and steady improvement. And then this season was the true breakout. So that's the focus of this episode. That's a really long-ass preamble. But the focus of this is Giannis. Giannis, not Giannis. God, I already did it. Giannis, 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 Giannis. There's a, the G is silent. Like I was going to remind you today because the other like day when I was talking to you. 
The other day I was talking to you on the phone. You did that. You called him Giannis, and I was going to remind Giannis, you today. But Giannis, you, just, you started off calling him Giannis. So. Giannis, Giannis, Giannis. Go back, go back and so, <laughs> fix that. There were signs at the beginning that 2016-17 was going to be different. All right, so I'll play a little clip real quick. This is courtesy of the Bucks YouTube page uh, from Bucks Media Day. Uh, for those who don't know what Media Day is, it's one day before the season starts where all the pictures you see that players take, like all those official photos and recording uh, bumps for radio and TV and stuff, they do all this stuff on one day. It is a long and stressful day that the players don't seem to enjoy too much, but uh, I didn't enjoy it very much. But So this is what Giannis did. At the end of each cycle, they always sit down for a big press conference with, with a bunch of media. Giannis sits down, grabs the mic, and here's what uh, happened. You guys take it easy on me. Uh, one, two, I have a, I have a joke. Okay. Uh, knock, knock. Obama. Obama who? Obama so. <laughs> no one laughed. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no one laughed. Luckily, his play did not, did not bomb the season as badly as that joke. But... It was an early sign that Giannis, in both personality and play, was going to really come out of his shell this season. He finished the season with approximately 23 points a game, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, and nearly 2 blocks and steals per game. He joined Sam Lacey as the only, from 1974-75 as the only players with at least 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.5 steals, and 1.5 blocks in a season. But Lacey only had 11 and a half uh, points per game, while Giannis was all the way up to nearly 23. He was the fifth player to lead his team in all five major statistical categories, that being points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. He joined Dave Cowens, Scottie Pippen, Kevin Garnett, and LeBron. Pretty good company to be in. But the big thing was that he was the first player in NBA history to finish a regular season in the top 20 in all five of those statistical, those main statistical categories. The first player ever. He also added a few triple doubles, getting his career total up to eight, which ties him with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the Bucks lead. But a lot of this, a lot of his stuff really went under the radar given Westbrook and Harden just going bananas and having these otherworldly performances that a lot of people just weren't paying attention to Giannis. And maybe some of that has to do with him being in Milwaukee, because let's be honest, not a whole lot of people pay attention to basketball up in Milwaukee, especially since the 70s, when, since they had Kareem and stuff. Um, a lot well, of no, pe the people, the people in Milwaukee, the people in Milwaukee, just people do, outside no of Milwaukee. No one else really pays attention to it. I just remember a few years back, everyone laughed at Jason Kidd, right, for leaving Brooklyn to go to Milwaukee and saying, who, who the hell would do that? But uh, it seems to be working out a little bit. Um, so the question is, how did, how did Giannis go from shy, unassuming rookie who put up decent stats for as a reserve to arguably one of the most dynamic players in basketball right now. Um, I have, I'm going to keep rambling, Justin, if you don't mind. I have one, I have one idea that I think really 
change Giannis this season. Um, so the end of last season, when the Bucks were just going nowhere, Jason Kidd uh, made an announcement that kind of surprised people via Bucks.com. We're going to go forward with him handling the ball, and you can call him point guard, point forward, point center, whatever, however you want to look at it. But, you know, with him having the ball and the pressure he puts on the defense and his ability to find guys uh, has been a plus for us. We'll finish out these uh, last eight and then also uh, look forward to training camp and, uh, you know, starting the season with him handling the ball. You know, with that being said, it gives him uh, you yeah. know, some summer school studies uh, and also, you know, understanding what he has, you know, he goes in, understanding what he has to do he to get better. His role. Yeah. He knows his role. So in something that doesn't seem so surprising now, given that the, the trend of teams just putting the ball in the hands of their best playmaker, regardless of position, this was kind of shocking at the time. And I've read a bunch of articles of people kind of discounting it or saying that it wasn't a great idea or even like the starters had a, a thing on it where uh, what's his name Taz Mellas I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right where he was saying like they're still going to go find another point guard and they ended up getting Della Vadova but of course the ball still ran through Giannis he had a career high 28.1 usage uh, he's the only Bucks player with a usage that high in a season with 30 minutes per game since Michael Red. Uh, Glenn Robinson, Terry Cummings, and Kareem. So some of the best names in Buck, Buck's history. He's right up there as, as terms as usage. He's still officially listed as a small forward, but it just shows the increasing fluidity of positions with the uh, so-called unicorns, you know, that they call him. These guys that don't really fit into positions can do anything and how traditional positional roles are just kind of going out the window. So I think, like, to me that really changed things for him like from him being an option in the offense to him becoming the offense for milwaukee and so we saw that explosion in stats um justin i think i've talked for like 10 minutes straight would you do you have do you have anything you'd like to add to my or do you have a theory of why Giannis exploded this season isn't this the point where i should get like all like uh offended like bill simmons did when uh sage Steele sort of froze him out of the nba countdown show. Oh, okay yeah you, we know you, you remember that just like yeah you want to be just like bill hey i can i'll no. just talk forever and you just sit there and you just nod your head and tell me i'm right and i'll be happy with that do i get to speak now it's been like 10 minutes well actually i was nodding in my head because i was falling asleep so what, what was it you said right before that to, to lead into this yeah having Giannis with the ball in his hands as the primary playmaker that decision is what really led to his extreme breakout this season, right? That That's what made this season different than his past seasons, apart from just general uh, maturation. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, probably because cause you look, I think his minutes per game did not really change from the previous season, from last season. So, yeah, it was just a matter of him having the ball in his hands more, getting more opportunities to score, to create scoring opportunities for others, those sorts of things. He just became a, more of a focal point for the offense than he had been the previous season. Yeah, and they kind of adjusted around um, if there's a shortcoming in his game. It's definitely his long-range shooting. Like, if you look at, on StatMute, you look at his shot charts from his rookie year, he has, you know, a lot of threes, and then as it progresses, uh, it gets more clustered around the... Uh, around the middle. Even though he attempted a career high 183s this season, um, he went from about 28% of his shots 
as threes in his rookie season to only 14% of them now. He still doesn't shoot an incredibly high percentage, but they really focused on him and saying, hey, guess what? You're not that good at threes. Don't don't sit out there and just fire them up. Like, don't don't be Josh Smith, which is a good um, good advice for any basketball player. He, the resulting was the season that we had. Most 30-point games in a season for a buck since Michael Redd. Most 2010 games since Vin Baker. I mean, just a, a season for the ages for the Bucks. But the thing we wanted to concentrate on, the thing that's most impressive of all the accomplishments he did this season was that being the first player in NBA history to finish a regular season in the top 20 in the five major statistical categories. He's the Swiss Army Knife player, which a term that we didn't invent, like it's been used. I, I couldn't figure out who actually invented it. Um, like we were able to find um, the guy who invented the term triple-double. I couldn't find the term. Who, who's the first to use Swiss Army Knife uh, to describe a player who does a little bit of everything? But that's what we're going to run with. Giannis had one of the greatest Swiss Army Knife seasons ever but so that got us to thinking if he's the first person to ever be in the top 20 in these categories like there had to be some other great names who came close so that kind of led us down this little research rabbit hole trying to find other swiss army players do i get to speak now it's been like 10 minutes right so i, I decided to expand uh expand it from top 20 to top 30 because i want to see you know okay what guys in the past may have come close to duplicating Giannis's feet, um, and so if you if you use top thirty as a cutoff, you end up with eighteen seasons. Now there's not eighteen different players because some of these players have done it multiple times, but there's eighteen different seasons in which it's occurred. And should note that this can only date back to 1973-74 because that's when they first started recording steals and blocks. So we're not going to be talking about Will Chamberlain, for example, who for once, you know. I, like yeah, I'm like 99.9% confident he would have done this at one point in his career, yeah. um, and you know so and we won't be mentioning guys like Bill Russell or Oscar Robertson. Um, once again, guys that probably could have done this but never did. Um, so first season steals and blocks were recorded. We actually have the first two cases where guys finished in the top 30 in all five of those categories, and they are Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bob Lanier. And Kareem probably isn't a, a great surprise maybe slightly surprised that he could sneak into the top 30 in steals he finished 24th in steals but the other categories points rebounds assists blocks not terribly surprising other guy Bob Lanier I don't know some of you may not be familiar with him he's actually an eight-time all-star and a hall of famer so I mean he is a he is a, a, a an accomplished NBA player and he was a, a 6'10 250 pound center played for the for the Bucks and he also or that was later in his career, but he played for the Pistons when he was in his prime. And um, kind of what's interesting about that season for him is, so he had 247 blocks that season, and he never had more than 172 in any other season. And similar thing for steals, where he had 110 steals that year, but never more than 82 in any other season. So this season is kind of an outlier for him. I mean, as for all players, a season like this is an outlier season, but for Lanier especially, like he, he reached marks and blocks and steals that he really never came close to later on in his career. Yeah, like I know this is going to sound really stupid, but um, I, I mean, you're used to me saying things like this. The one thing about doing this podcast and like researching into some historical things, like it really made me appreciate Kareem Abdul-Jabbar more. Like I know that sounds like stupid to appreciate the league's all-time leading score a little bit more, 
But um, like to me, he always had the kind of like idea that all right, he played so many seasons and so many games, and so the the scoring total just kind of got up there. So the, it was, in a way, you could sort of dismiss it, even though that's not. I, I I don't think that's the the right interpretation. But yeah, looking back at when you start kind of pairing some of these other stats in it like because he came up in our triple doubles podcast has come up in a lot of things that yeah Kareem especially in those early years really was the the complete package just yeah and I mean the, the final package the final image people have of him which was when he's at the tail end of his career and Goofy goggles just, well, well he yeah I mean he wore those because he had an, an eye injury but I mean he just he was a you know pretty much just a guy who posted up for the Lakers in their half-court offense, and they would get the ball into him, and he would throw up that sky hook, you know, his patented sky hook. And he really wasn't the, the well-rounded player that he was as when, he was when he was first starting his career. And I, I think a lot of players are that way. There's another player we're going to talk about later, too, where I think it's the way he was at the end of his career sort of colors our picture of him, and it's, it's kind of unfair. Yeah, and like you said, Bob Lanier is another one that I know of. Um, of course, know his name, but don't know a whole lot about him. Um, but there was one player that came up on your list from the 70s who, who made this the top 30 in these stat categories that I had literally never heard of. Right, yeah. No, okay, so I know the guy you're talking about, right? You're talking about Alvin Adams. Yeah. Right. No, I had never heard of him before. Okay, so yeah, Adams is also on this list. He did it in 1975-76. For the Suns, and right? For the Suns, right. And what's interesting about him is he was the only guy to do this as a rookie, and he was also the youngest player to do it. He was 21 at the time. Um, so a little bit about Adams, because, I mean, if you're not familiar with him, there might be a lot of listeners who aren't familiar with him. So let's just talk. Let me talk about I him hope briefly. So. I hope so. I don't, I don't want to find out I'm the only person that outside of Phoenix that doesn't know who this people, guy yeah, is. Yeah, people in Phoenix definitely know him. But So he, he went to the University of Oklahoma. He was a three-time All-Big 8 selection. All-Big 8. Like there's, there's no Big 8 anywhere, right? <laughs> but he was a three-time All-Big 8 selection. He was Big 8 Player of the Year in 1975. That's when he was a junior. So he left school after his junior year. He ended up being the fourth overall pick in the 1975 draft by the Suns. Um, he was an NBA All-Star his rookie season. He also was Rookie of the Year that season. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, he finished in the top 30 in all um, five major statistical categories. Led the Suns to the NBA Finals that year for the first time in franchise history. Um, and he's one of a handful of significant players. By significant players, I mean players who had like a career of significant length. Who had what was probably his best season as a rookie. Um, if you look through his career, you know, he had other seasons that were very good. But I, I would argue that his very best season came as a rookie. And not, that doesn't happen to many players who have long careers. He spent his entire 13-year career with the Suns, and he is all over their all-time um, career lists. He's first in rebounds, first in steals, second in points, third in assists, fourth in blocks. And he also ranks first in games played in minutes, which, of course, plays a large part in, in him being uh, in the top five and all those other stat categories. So he's one of those players where if there was like a hall of very good, Adams would definitely be in there. But yeah. he, like I said, that promise he showed in his rookie season... He never really had a season that was better than that, and so he never became maybe the, the Hall of Fame player that you would have thought he would have been after his first couple of seasons in the NBA. Do, do you know, did he deal with injuries or anything like that? Or is it, it, it just naturally yeah, no, I, I, didn't, I, I, never yeah, reached those same heights? 
no no major injuries and it's like I said he wasn't he had other very good seasons but yeah for some reason that that rookie season when it all came together for him and he like he just he could never quite get to that same level but as I said he was a very good player for a very long time and you know you don't you don't um, hang around the NBA for 13 seasons and rank first for your franchise and games played minutes played unless unless you're pretty good so yeah I mean does it get back to the whole winning aspect like back then and especially when the, the NBA wasn't as uh, prolific as it is now that just this you said they got to the finals but the Suns weren't one of those di- Lakers Bucks etc dynasties at the, of that time Celtics um, so is that why we don't know about him just they being in Phoenix and never bringing home a title like I'm just I'm just at a loss yeah, well, of no- like why I don't know anything about this guy I also think it has to do with the time period so this is you know he he's drafted in the middle 70s so his 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 NBA career is starting in the early uh, late 70s and in early 80s and we've talked about this at one time or another in the podcast but like you know in the 1980 NBA finals between the Lakers and 76ers game 6 was shown on tape delay to most of the country you yeah. know what i mean so it wasn't really covered like it is now um and so that might have something to do with it where you know, you've got this guy who's a really good player, a solid player, but not really a, a top 10, top 15, all NBA type player. And so I think guys, a lot of guys from that era who are, who fit that description kind of have uh, been forgotten. So do we need to do Stat Stories episode 25, Who the Hell is Alvin Adams? Well, I think we just covered some ground there. So. I think we've got a good bit of the Alvin Adams experience there. So. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna list a few more of the the players who were able to accomplish this top thirty in the five major stat totals. Um, all of them superstar Hall of Famers you've heard of, and then Alvin Adams. So I mean, give the guy give the guy credit. He he at least had one great season. So those are that that covers the seventies, right? So we move into the eighties, and who sure. do we have there? So okay, one guy I'd like to talk about is Julius Irving, Dr. J. Um, I have heard of him. I am aware. You have heard of him. Excellent. Julius Irving. So he was able to, to finish in the top thirty in all five categories in 1980-81. And what's interesting about that is he's the only guy who did it after the age of thirty. Um, and so I think most people know that Dr. J started out in the ABA. Mm-hmm. And, and um. If you look back, though, at what he did in the ABA, it was extraordinary. The league yeah. was really good. It wasn't quite at the level of the NBA, but it was really good. And so here, here's something that will kind of knock your socks off, I think. What? So if you look at his last three years in the ABA, so 74, 75, 76, 74, 75, 76, he finished in the top seven in all five of those categories every one of those seasons. Oh, wow. I mean, it's still impressive, even given the level of competition not being the same. I mean, that's that's still pretty impressive. Right. I mean, and so he didn't even enter the NBA until he was 26. So basically, his his prime seasons were sent, spent in this in this other league in the ABA. And like I said, he was the oldest guy to finish in the top 30 in all five categories. Also, he and Akeem Olajuwon are the only players who have career averages of 1.5 steals per game and blocks per game. So one and a half steals per game, one and a half blocks per game. Those are the only two guys who were able to do that for their entire career. Hmm, crazy. Yeah, and I was making a big deal earlier that Giannis did it in one season. Right, exactly. 
And he had he had eight seasons where he had at least 100 steals and 100 blocks, and that's tied with Kevin Garnett for second all-time. Yeah. And once again, this, this is a guy who didn't come to the NBA until he was 26 years old. And so just imagine like what his numbers, NBA numbers, would have been had he spent his first you know five years in the NBA instead of the ABA. Yeah, but it's a good thing... Um... Like making the statement, "Hey, Dr. J was good." That's that's not news to anyone. But just for the casual fan, knowing that he was more than just an afro who could palm the ball and you know do some incredible under the rim dunks and things like that. I mean, he re- he really was a complete all around player. Yes, exactly. Um, another guy we should talk about from the early '80s, and he's kind of the patron saint of stat stories, is Alex English. So our boy, our boy, Alex. If we have any loyal listeners who've been with us from the beginning, Alex was the uh, Alex English was the subject of our very first podcast. Um, because, like and, Alvin Adams, I was like, "Why don't I know more about this guy?" Because statistically, Alex English was incredible. Right, and so you know, it, our for most of us who know of him, the image of him is don't this, be so is, condescending. Don't don't be so damn <laughs> condescending. All right. But, uh, I'm being honest. I'm bearing my soul are, here. Those of us who are true NBA fans, uh, the, you know, the image, mental image we have of him is, you know, just sort of this uh, pure scoring machine. But the fact that he was able to finish in the top 30 in all five of these categories, that kind of gives you a, an idea that, you know, maybe he was more than just a scorer. Maybe he did other things. And I think the Nuggets' pace of play probably had something to do with that. Because, you know, here we're talking about total points and total rebounds and total assists. And the Nuggets played at such a fast pace that he had more opportunities to generate these counting stats. Like the year he did it, the Nuggets averaged almost or just about 112 possessions per 48 minutes. And the league average that season was 103. So he's getting about 10% more more possessions per game than the average team. So that obviously played a role in him accumulating a bunch of blocks, steals, rebounds, and so on. Does that discount it to you when you talk about the teams like that or where they had so many more possessions due to pace of play. I mean, do you a little bit in your mind discount those numbers based on that? Or is it, I mean, they still accomplished it in the same 48 minutes, right? So does it, does it still, is it still as impressive to you or does pace of play like that? Does it diminish those numbers? to you? I mean, I guess it makes it maybe, Less impressive than a player who did it under different circumstances, but it's impressive nonetheless. How's that for a generic, dry answer? Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, it, it makes sense. I'm not expecting you to have a hot take on a 35 year old, 35 year old season or anything like that. But yeah, I was just interested in your thoughts on it. All right, then. There's three more guys here in the 80s and early 90s who did it, and I'm just going to mention them because I don't want to say too much about them, but Larry Bird did it in 1984-85, David Robinson 93-94, and Scottie Pippen in 94-95. Um, and, you know, Hall of Famers all, and it's really not surprising to hear that their names would be on this list. Yeah. Next Pippen, guy, though, I'd like... I think the only thing about Pippen is just that he did it in the, uh, the Jordan-less year, right? Right, and I think that's one thing like maybe he doesn't receive enough credit for. Those two seasons, well, it was like what a season and three quarters, season and three fourths, like yeah, yeah. But in those two seasons, the Bulls won 102 games in the regular season. Yeah, that, I think that would surprise people because, you know, I think a lot of people expected them to sort of become this 500 team without Michael Jordan. In that first season, I think they won 55 games, 
without without Jordan for the whole season. So, you know, it just it speaks to the greatness of Scottie Pippen and the overall, you know, incredible player that he was. And and he yep. he was often, you know, seen as Jordan's sidekick, but he was much more than that. Yeah, and he still had a good run post Jordan with those the the Jailblazers team. I mean, they never won the the title, but they they had some good playoff runs. Well, and also the Rockets before that with Bark when he teamed up with Barkley and Drexler and Elijah one. Yeah, they lost in the they got swept in the first round. People in Houston still hate Scottie Pittman for that for that one season. I don't know. I think it's oh. misplaced, but I got nothing against you, Scotty. All right, so let's move to the um arguably maybe the uh if we're going to to me, if I'm going to name who's like the biggest career Swiss Army player, I probably would name this guy. And I don't know if I would have known that before we started this research. And that's uh, and that's KG. I mean, Kevin Garnett in in his prime was in all over the place, right? Just a, a as versatile as a player as there was, right? Right. And I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier about how sort of the lasting image of Jabbar was him just as this creaky old guy coming down the court and posting up in the Lakers half-court offense. Garnett, the end of his career, his final you know, season or two in Boston, and then his seasons with the Nets, and then his final season with the Timberwolves, he was just a shadow of his former self. He was not the, the great, well-rounded player that he used to be. And, and so I think that, like once again, has colored the impression that people have of him. But like, if we were to, he was still starting na- fights and uh, being an all-around a-hole like he was in his prime. He still had that going for him. Oh, he's he's still doing that now. He, he's yeah, mad at he'll the never Timberwolves. Stop. He's mad at the Timberwolves for the way they've chosen to honor Flip Saunders. Like they asked him to record like a three-minute segment on uh, what Flip meant to him, and he got really mad. And he said there was no way he could he could summarize. You know the effect that Flip had on him in his career in just three minutes, and he thought it was ridiculous. And I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, there's no reason to get of... mad over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but well, he's—I mean, he's been know. fighting with people his, his whole career. That's kind of his part of his persona, right? That just that that mean that mean a hole that well, I, I think never turned people, it off. Yeah, I think he's one of those people who the anger sort of fuels him. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he needs something to to motivate himself, and so. Some reason anger is it for him. Anyway, if we were gonna have like a, a poster child for this this type of player, Garnett would probably be it, as you said. Um, he did this six different times, so six times he finished in the top thirty in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. And no one Jabbar else has is, done done it more than once, right? Well, no, Jabbar did, did it twice. Jabbar did it twice. He's, he's the only it. other guy to do it multiple times. So yeah, that's he, it. Garnett did it six times. He did it six times, right. And he's the one who actually came closest to doing what Giannis did before Giannis. He finished 22nd in assists in 2003 and 4, 04. And that was the only category he was outside the top 20. Um, and just, yeah, just he just did everything. Like he had six seasons where he averaged at least 20 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, and 1 block. Every other player in NBA history has 5 combined. Wow. 5 seasons combined. You know who would find that impressive? No. Grizzlies coach David Fisdale. I wonder what he would say about that. Take that for data. 
We're going to be using that, by the way. That's that's going to be a new StatMuse uh, mantra. Thank, thank you, David Fisdale. All right, David, how about one more? Garnett and Carl Malone are the only players with at least 20,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 5,000 assists, 1,000 steals, and 1,000 blocks. What you think about that, Fizz? Take that for data. Okay, so yeah, Garnett just did things that very few players have ever done in the history of the league. Let's, let's wrap this up. Let me, let me just kind of go through the names here that are left on the list. So you had LeBron James, who did it in 2008-09. You had Kevin Durant, who did it in 2012-13. And, of course, Giannis this season. Now, there actually is one other player I would like to touch on. Um, phrasing? Um, and that would be Akeem Olajuwon. <laughs> so Olajuwon was not really known for his passing. But he is the only player to finish in the top 10 in points, rebounds, steals, and blocks in two different seasons. And he's also the only player to ever have 200-plus steals and 200-plus blocks in a single season. So, like I said, he didn't have like the playmaking ability that some of these other players had, but he was a dominant presence on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that kind of leads into, like, why... Like, we listed these players, and of course there's some great names and our, our new friend Alvin Adams. But, um, like, you would think some superstars would have done this, right? Like, MJ, Magic, uh, Wilt, you mentioned the reason why, but, like, someone like Magic Johnson. Like, it seems like there are a lot of players who came close in four of the five categories, right? Like, you have someone like Draymond Green, who apart from the, he's there in all the categories, but scoring, or like you said, or some of the big men who are there in all the categories, but steals or guards with blocks, something like that. Like West and Westbrook came close this year, right? Right. But I mean, block shots, he's way off. He's like 126th yeah. in blocks or something. And I think, I mean, so pretty much guards are ruled out, right? They're not going to get this because they're not going to accumulate the block shots necessary. You know what I mean? So, like, we're taking 40% of the positions and basically ruling them out. They're not going to be able to do this. And then there's very few small forwards that would be capable of doing this. Um, You know, Irving did it. Uh, Giannis did it this season. If we want to call Giannis a small forward, I don't really know what he is. Whatever whatever he is. LeBron Um, lists as a small forward some seasons, but that's... I mean, that's just in name only, pretty much. No, that yeah. Le, no, LeBron's good too. Yeah, he is. He's listed as a small forward, but yeah, for the most part, these are either either forwards or power forwards or centers, right? And what's the mental image you have of those positions? Kind of like these big, burly, strong guys, and those aren't the guys you think of when you think of steals and assists. So it, it really takes a, a very a player with with size, but also athletic ability. And those are few and far between, right? Yeah, it seems that there's definitely a common uh, strain of physical attributes with these guys. Like, you think of Giannis, KD, Pippen, David Robinson, like Kevin Garnett. These are like long, lean guys who have the reach to get the the blocks and steals and stuff, but then the, the speed and the agility to get the assists and also able to score. Like, they all, if you line them up in a row, like, they would all look pretty similar with with the exception of larry bird like larry bird just throw him on the end it's like one of these things is not like the other you know he doesn't exactly look like the same athletic specimen that could that could pull the pull that off right um i mean larry bird doesn't even look like a 
like he a professional golfer or baseball player, right? It's just amazing. It looks like, it looks like a it looks like a plumber or something, right? A guy yeah, that would like, show up at your house to yeah, fix like a Larry Bird is going to fix your transmission for you, not not uh, lead the league in statistical categories, right? But um, yeah, it's there's definitely seems like there's some kind of commonality there. Um, but one thing I want to ask you about something that that you pointed out in the the research that again I wouldn't I wouldn't have figured out on my own but of all these players that we just listed who've led the who've been in the top 30 of these five st- statistical categories in that given season combined they have zero championships so I wanted to ask you is is that just a pure coincidence like what do you have any theories for why these guys, despite putting up these seasons that are relatively rare and impressive, none of them resulted in championships. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the couple of thoughts on that. One is that, first of all, even though none of these teams won a championship, all of the teams were pretty good. I think there was only one. I think Jabbar in 75-76, I think his team had a losing record. They were like 40-42, and 42, uh, the Lakers were that year. But I think every other team had a winning record and was, was a pretty decent team. But just for one reason or another, couldn't couldn't win a championship. Uh, another thought I had was that if you have a player who's doing all this stuff for your team, it could also be a sign that perhaps your team is not well rounded, yeah. and really would not be built for playoff success. Like it's built for regular season success, but in the playoffs, when you need more, uh, you know, you need more con- contributions from multiple players. And you can't really just rely on one single guy unless that one single guy's named Michael Jordan. And even then, like, he didn't really do it by himself, right, until he got... He didn't really win championships until he got Pippen and Horace Grant and others like that. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I think that might be a sign that, you know, this is a team that that is not deep, is not well-rounded, um, and relies maybe a little too much on one particular player. And do you think the the Bucks are... Uh particularly not well-rounded this season? Is that maybe why Giannis was able to become the first player to get in the, the top 20? Does it speak more to the Bucks not having much around him or yeah, I mean, to look his at the roster. just, yeah, his ability? I mean, they, they lost their second best player to injury earlier this season. Right? Again. Mark Parker done for the season again. Um, and if you look down their roster, it's, it's not, you know, you don't read through that and think this would be a super team, and they're not. They're like, what, a, just barely above 500 team. Yeah, I mean, if Chris I, Middleton is your second best player, I mean, that's I mean, he's he's a good supporting piece, but I mean, Chris Middleton is not someone you're gonna hope to take you to the promised land. And what their their big uh, offseason free agent signing was Matthew Delvadova, right? I mean, that's not really that doesn't really uh, uh, cause people to pick up their phones and call the uh, the ticket center to get season tickets. So yeah, I mean, maybe they'll we'll see we'll see a change with. Um, you know, Giannis is a star now, so maybe his star power will be able to attract more players. But still, I mean, Milwaukee's not exactly the a hotbed of, you know, where NBA players want to go. They are getting a new arena, which their arena was just a, a dump of a dump. Like by far the the worst, in my opinion, the worst arena in the in the NBA. Like I saw, being in Texas, I've seen like municipal rodeo arenas that are higher quality than this place. But maybe. Maybe their fortunes will change uh, in the future with with Giannis being a, a superstar in the making. But well, not even in the making. I mean, he's a superstar right now. But I don't see I don't see Giannis being able to uh, to break the streak of players who finished in the tops of all these 
categories, uh, not winning a championship. I mean, they, they, they stole that win in Toronto. Like we said, at the time of this recording, that, that series is 1-1. Um, I still think Toronto's a far better team is probably going to win that series. But um, it's a good step in the right direction. Um, do you have any bold predictions for Giannis future success is was this a one season outlier or is this just the the beginning of things to come with him no this is the beginning of things to come this is with barring injury this is the beginning of a hall of fame career yeah I think Giannis is going to be the first person to ever pull off a free throw line dunk in a game like he's already come pretty damn close on multiple occasions or he might just god the things he can do just what he's He's finally paired his freakish athletic ability and just physical gifts with the the hard work, dedication, experience that just comes with being an NBA player. And we're starting to see the results of that. In a season of great performances, this one by Giannis really, I don't think, got the credit that it deserved. Like a Swiss Army season for the ages. I mean, a season where he accomplished you know, a stat line, a stat collection that, I mean, there's really only one way to sum it up. Take that for data. And with that, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Stat Stories. Be sure to check out our blog at blog.statnews.com. We're going to include some of the questions that we asked on Stat News so you can see how we got to some of the opinions and uh, stats that we have. Um, also, we are happy to announce we are now available in the official ESPN app. We are big time in ESPN. So you can check us out in there. Look in the ESPN app and you will find our beautiful faces, maybe? Either way, check it out in there. Hit us up on Twitter. Follow the Stat News account at Stat News. Or you can get me at Chad J. Shanks. Justin is at Jake Batco. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode of Stat Stories.